In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry, and it's snowing outside, <laughs> which means it's stuff you should know. Snow edition. Snow edition. Yeah. I know, and we're like, we got to record and get out of here, because this is Atlanta, and snow kills us. I just mainly don't want to be locked away from the snow. I want to be able to like look out the window and see it. I can now, but not as well as I'd like to. I, for me, it's just a traffic thing. Like People are probably leaving work right now. People have already left the office here. Well, maybe everyone will be gone by the time I get out there. Yeah. Okay. You'll just be the lone guy trudging through the snow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like Vigo Mortensen in the road. Yes. Although he was not alone. And there wasn't any snow. No. It was just n- nuclear ash. Although there was snow because Charlie Theron kills herself by going out into the snow. But that's before everything really takes yeah, yeah. A, a downward turn. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Retroactive spoiler alert. Uh, Chuck. Yep. Are you familiar with Kent State? Yeah, man. I've been singing that Neil Young song all day. How can you not? Uh, you cannot by having never heard it like me. Shut up. You know that song. Never heard it. I never listened to Neil Young. <laughs> You've never heard the song Ohio? No, I know the Pretender song, but I don't think that's about Kent State. I'm shocked. Okay. I, I mean, you don't have I to listen to Neil Young you. without like uh, knowing How's that, it go? Hum it for me. No, I'm not going to. Well, maybe I have heard it. Ten soldiers and Nixon. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've heard it. I didn't know that was about Ohio. <laughs> Four dead in Ohio? Yeah. Okay. And I, I had no idea. All right. I didn't know what that song was about. I was just like, <laughs> oh, Neil Young. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Get ready to hear it. I'm sure. All right. I'm used to it by now. You're bulletproof. Uh, well, so you're familiar with the Kent State shooting. Sure. May 4th, uh, 1970. Um, four students were killed. I believe another 11 were injured. Yeah, including one was paralyzed, like some pretty severe injuries. And uh, this is a big deal. That would be a big deal in and of itself if it was just some sort of campus shooting or something like that. Like, it'd be a very big deal these yeah. days. But what made the Kent State shootings, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, such an enormous deal was that the shootings were carried out by National Guardsmen. Yeah. They were Americans firing on Americans. Um, Americans on one side of the equation firing on protesters on the other side. Uh, and it was one of the darkest points in American history, modern or otherwise. Yeah, it was, uh, I think what's so upsetting is it was random. It wasn't, you know, that guy's coming at me with a, 
a bottle or a brick, shoot him. It was random shooting into a crowd. Like, right. That's the kind of thing that would happen in countries under like dictatorships. Mm-hmm. Not here in America. But it did happen here in America. Yeah. And not just uh, at Kent State. There was another similar incident just 10 days later um, that we'll talk about as well that gets overlooked. But, yeah, it was a very dark moment in American history, and it came out of the the tensions um, over the Vietnam War initially. But yeah. I think it was more than that. It was also, we should say, that's the um, kind of obvious thing that led to it. Yeah. But also there was a, a, a real tension also between the establishment and the anti-establishment. Yeah. And um, the people in control and the people who weren't in control, students, elders, there was just a lot of tension between two sides and the dividing line. The obvious dividing line was the Vietnam War. Yeah. And um, I think if you are not of that generation, you may not know the full story. Uh, you might know that four people were shot in a protest and that's about it. Right. Maybe even if you're from that generation, you may not know the full story. But we're about to tell you. Okay. Well, let's take it back a little further than 1970. All right, uh, Vietnam, a country which had uh, won its uh, independence from France in the 50s. Have you ever seen We Were Soldiers? Yes. With Mel Gibson? Gibson? It's almost like a snuff film. It's one of the most graphically violent movies I've ever seen in my life. But it's about that transition from France leaving Vietnam and America coming in. Yeah. And initially. uh, Go go ahead. Well, just initially serving as advisors. Oh, right. And then becoming embroiled in the war. I forgot all about that movie. Yeah. You know, in Apocalypse Now, there are some deleted scenes of uh, them meeting up with a French family in Vietnam and, like, having dinner. Really? Yeah, and I remember when I heard about that, I was like, what? Why were they French? And then I did a little more homework on it. Oh. Oh, yeah, if you eat Vietnamese food, like, it's very clearly, like, yeah, French-influenced. Like, well, all food, most food is, but, yeah. Sure. Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, in the fifties, they, uh, split between communist North and non-communist South Vietnam mm-hmm. and America didn't want communism spreading throughout Asia. No, we had a policy of containment. Yeah. And so Richard Nixon, um, when he won the, the 68 election, um, part of his promise was uh, something called Vietnamization. It's kind of an awkward word. Mm-hmm. And that meant, uh, to transfer the combat duties from, our soldiers to the South Vietnamese. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It does. But um, what what happened was, at some point, he said, you know what? In uh, 1970, in April, he said, I want to send our soldiers into Cambodia. And that caused sort of a firestorm because it was a bit of a reversal of what he said he was going to do. And it, you know, really embroiled us in the kind of the middle of things. Well, yeah, he, he escalated the war in Vietnam, which was already a very um, contentious issue. In that it was a war, but also it was a war that Congress never openly declared war. Yeah. So that's why, historically speaking, it's referred to as the Vietnam conflict. Right. Um, and so Nixon gets elected partially because he's saying, I'm going to get our boys out of there. Yeah. We're not going to like let the communists win. We're going to prop up the Vietnamese. Yeah. But um, we're going to get out of there. And instead, he escalates things by invading Cambodia, where the Viet Cong were, were stationed. And that led to immediate protests. That was April 30th, 1970, that he announced that we had invaded Cambodia. Yeah. And the next day is when the first protest takes place at Kent State. Yeah. And uh, Kent, the, the article points out that it was not the most likely place because it was a little more blue collar than, like, say, uh, Ohio State mm-hmm. nearby. 
the Ohio State University. And um, man, I'm sorry. What? That is so stupid. <laughs> sorry, OSU alums and fans and students, but it is stupid. And everyone outside of Ohio State <laughs> thinks it's stupid. They take a lot of pride in that V. I know, which I think just kind of fans the flames of um, derision. Yeah. You know? I can just go start saying the University of Georgia. That makes a little more sense. Does it? Yeah. Well, what's the difference? The Ohio State University. Oh. The University of Georgia. It just, so if it was the University of Ohio State, that would make more sense? Yeah, a little more. To, okay. me, to my ear. I got gotcha. you. My ear. Yeah. Right there. Mm-hmm. See it? That's very nice. Thank you. Um, at any rate, uh, Kent State was a little more blue collar, and right. you wouldn't think there would be like protesting. But there was protesting at schools all over the country. There were, and you can read between the lines here. Kent State had a lower hippie population than Ohio State. Yeah, can we time. just come out right out and say it? Right. <laughs> but there were protests there. Um, there was a protest on May 1st, and it was a standard uh, war protest. Yeah, three days before the shooting. So it's kind of when things got kicked off. Right. But these kids were still pretty good. They were at school holding a protest in the commons, I believe, um, which was the a.k.a. the quad or like the big grassy area in yeah. between in the middle of campus. Um, and they said, you know what? This went pretty well. Let's take the weekend off and we'll meet back here Monday and have another anti-war protest because we're really steamed about this. And everyone said, OK, let's do that. And for tonight, let's go out and hit the bars in Kent. Yes. Yeah, is the, what they did. The first one, they buried the, the Constitution as a symbolic gesture. Oh, yeah. Thanks. And the second one, they got drunk. Right. Not at the protest, but later that night. Right. So that Friday protest is when they buried the Constitution. Yeah. So this is like a real protest. It's not just walking around. There's like stuff going on and sure. like, you know, there's symbolic acts. It was a real protest. Yeah. And uh, if you combine alcohol and protesting, things might get a little rowdy. Uh-huh. So bonfires broke out. Uh, they started throwing bottles at police cars, bro- yeah. breaking windows. It's more than a little rowdy. I mean, that's pretty, that's a riot. When you set light bonfires in the streets and yeah. like throw bottles at at police cars, that you have just basically said, oh, uh, "We've drawn a line in the sand." What are you going to do, cops? That is one way to look at it for sure. Uh, the mayor Leroy Satram said, uh, "This is an emergency situation, people. I need to call the governor, James Rhodes. We need some help. I'm going to close the bars, which you know isn't going to make anyone very happy." No, and it had a an exacerbating effect, apparently, because that meant all the people who weren't rioting in the streets, who were busy drinking in the bars, were now suddenly in the streets, too, and joined the protests, and the, a.k.a. the riots, right? Uh, that's right. And the police were called in. They used tear gas and said, go back to your dorm rooms, basically, get back on campus. And that was Friday. Now we move on to Saturday. Yeah, and the mayor's obviously a little jumpy. He's hearing rumors circulating that there's sure. going to be another uh, – the the scene from the night before is going to happen all over again on Saturday. So he calls the governor of Ohio. And um, here enters the person who, in my opinion, is single-handedly responsible for what happened at Kent State. So the National Guard arrives. Um, there were about a 1,000 protesters um, that actually burned down an ROTC building on campus, <laughs> which is a pretty bold move. And um, they didn't find out who did that exactly, but they did cut fire hoses so they couldn't put out the fire Yeah, and basically burn it to the ground. Yeah, the protesters set it on fire and then cut the fire hoses like they wanted that building burn. And apparently um, 
that's when the the National Guard shows up a couple like an hour or so later, right? Yeah, and they they you know broke everything up obviously, and then uh, come Sunday, you've got about a thousand National Guardsmen, and you've got Governor Rhodes arriving uh, and holding a press conference and kind of flaming the fire again by calling uh, the protesters the worst type of people that we harbor in America. Yeah, he compared them to the brown shirts, Mussolini's brown shirts. Yeah. Um, the uh, communists, um, pretty much anybody he could think of that was that would be disparaging. That's who he publicly at this press conference compared him to. Um, and you mentioned that the the on Sunday morning, the um, National Guard was on campus kind of keeping order and everything. But apparently, like, the relations between the guardsmen and the students were pretty amicable. Like, people were chatting friendly. Like, there was no tension. It was just kind of like, hey, I'm 19. Hey, I'm 19. I'm a student at Kent State. I'm in the National Guard. Let's hang out. And it wasn't until the governor showed up and held this press conference that things took a very sudden turn for the worse. And it wasn't just the brown shirts, calling them the brown shirts are the worst element that America harbors, but also saying, I may also declare martial law. Yeah, and that uh, I may message never quite got through, and there was some confusion as to whether or not that actually happened. And basically the National Guard believed that that had happened, and they took control of the campus and said, yeah. we're running the show now. And not just the National Guard, but the university officials, too. The people running the university said, oh, well, martial law is declared. And they knew that there was a protest scheduled for the following day, Monday. So they printed a bunch of flyers and pamphlets saying, hey, your constitutional rights have been suspended because the university is under martial law, so yeah. all assembly is banned, so don't protest. And that kind of fell on deaf ears, I guess you could say, come Monday morning. Because the students showed up to protest. Yeah, that definitely didn't work. Um, by noon, there was uh, about 3,000 people, about 500 actively protesting, another 1,000 just there to be supportive. Right. And um, and because it, it's a college campus, about 1,500 people just checking it out. Yeah, stopping on their way to class yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like, what's going on? I would have done the same thing probably. And we should say also our, um, our buddy, stuff they don't want you to know, um, host and sometimes uh, producer Matt Frederick. Mm-hmm. His parents were students at Kent State, and they stayed home that day. They did. They were like, "There's some bad stuff that's going to go down," and they were right. Uh, so the article points out it, it was less an anti-war protest at this point, and more of a protest of the draconian occupation of their campus. Yeah, martial law by the army. Yeah, and um, which is not even real, which is just a misunderstanding. Yeah. Pretty much. So the general, um, Canterbury says, you know what? Uh, this rally's over. Drive me around in a Jeep. Give me that bullhorn. Let me tell everyone to go home because that'll work. Yeah. I mean, let's go back to this, where these tensions came from in the first place. It's establishment versus anti-establishment. Yeah. And establishment is the type to stand in a Jeep and be driven around with the bullhorn telling people to disperse. I don't know if there's ever been a message relayed via bullhorn that doesn't fall on deaf ears. Yeah. You know? It has the opposite effect. Unless, like, I guess in, like, a FEMA situations, if you're trying to, like, organize people and stuff, that helps. But I always think of bullhorns as stuff like this. The general riding around in the Jeep yelling at people to go home and people saying, no, you don't understand why we're here in the first place. <laughs> right. So they started throwing rocks at the Jeep, not surprisingly. And um, <laughs> not he, surprised. 
<laughs> well, think you know tensions at this point. This was day four. Yeah, I I think though though I'm not justifying. I'm just no saying, no. I know, you know you're not at all. But I think it's really easy to to um to to kind of choose one side or the other, especially once you know the outcome. But I don't think it should be overlooked that like people are throwing rocks at this dude. While he's driving around in the Jeep. People have burned down a building. Yeah, sure. People have rioted in the streets of the town, the college town. I mean, like, these are real huge events that scared the pants off of the people who were running the town, the state, the country. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, to to say that they were unprovoked is historically inaccurate. Yeah, I totally agree. Not justifying, but I think a no. lot of people might think the story is... People got together to protest, and the army came in and shot them. Right, or yeah, and and that it was either the protesters' fault; they shouldn't have been protesting; right. they shouldn't have burned down that building, or you know, it was entirely the national guard's fault. And you, whatever historical event you're looking at, it's never just one side or the other. No, it's usually there, gray. There is, it all, it's always gray. You and you have blinders on if you think otherwise. You should write a history book called "It's Always Gray." Yeah, Josh Clark's. History of America. <laughs> I'd buy that. Thanks, man. Um, all right. So where are we? Uh, they were throwing rocks at the general. He, at this point, ordered his troops to load their weapons, uh, get the tear gas going. He said, they threw rocks at me. You, you guys load your weapons. That's basically what happened. Um, not because his feelings were hurt. Right. Yeah. Uh, although I imagine they were. <laughs> I guess. No matter who you are, I'm sure people throw rocks at yeah. you. You're like... I, I take that personally. <laughs> so the National Guard came in. They they pushed them back past the commons over a steep uh, called Blanket Hill mm-hmm. and into a parking lot uh, of Prentice Hall in a practice football field. Then basically the guardsmen found themselves cornered by a fence, retreated back up the hill. When they got to the top, uh, 28 out of the 70 uh, turned and began firing their guns. Uh, into the crowd. Yeah, so... Oh, well, not all of them into the crowd, we should point out. Most into the air or the ground, actually, although some fired directly into the crowd. If they all would have fired directly into the crowd, there would have been a much higher blood count or body count. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, the the protesters were about a football field away from them. Um, and the fact that they started to walk up the hill and then turn and shot made it not just an attack of Americans on Americans, but a surprise attack. Of Americans on Americans. Yeah, I would say the students were definitely did not expect uh, bullet retaliation. Took about 13 seconds. Um, four students were killed. Allison Krauss, not the Allison Krauss, no. obviously. Jeffrey Miller, uh, Sandra Schuer, and William Schroeder. And uh, it's all tragic, but even more tragically, Schuer and Schroeder were just walking to class. Yeah, that and makes They weren't even so part of the protest. Worse. Yeah. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And like I said, nine people were wounded and one Dean Collar was paralyzed. And yeah. So, Go ahead. So those shots, they shot into the air and into the ground, but also into the crowd. And over about 13 seconds, they fired between 61 and 67 shots. I think that could be categorized as a hail of gunfire. Uh, yeah. 13 seconds, 60 shots. What is that? That's like uh, a lot of shots a second. Yeah. You know? That's true. And just from 28 guns. Yeah, and apparently there was a uh, professor named Glenn Frank who did a lot to quell the crowd and did talk them into uh, not escalating this thing any further. Right. So this article really kind of glances over this guy's role. And it wasn't just him, but he was the head of the faculty marshals who whose job it was was to basically 
keep an eye on the protests. Yeah. They were like the, the university's liaison between the university and the students, the yeah. protesters. And this guy and his crew basically single-handedly prevented like a massacre because they saw very quickly that if they didn't insinuate themselves between the guardsmen and the students, yeah. the students were going to be like, holy Holy God, they just fired live ammunition on us. Yeah. And they're standing right there. Let's get them. Yeah. They would have attacked. The consensus is the students would have attacked out of anger and that the guardsmen most definitely would have fired again when being attacked. Um, and these, this, this faculty member and his team saw what was about to happen and slid in and was like, wait, it's a, they first they spoke to the guardsmen and said, stop firing. We have to go talk to the students. Then they went and spoke to the students for 20 minutes and got them to calm down enough to, to, to stop provoking or to not provoke or advance on the, um, guardsmen in retaliation and saved a lot of lives probably. I wonder if there's a Glenn Frank statue on campus. There should be. I agree. Uh, so they closed school, not for the day or the weekend, but for the rest of the semester. And um, a lot of colleges did the same as far as shutting down. Well, because a lot of students went on strike. Oh, yeah. And like they were forced to, the universities were forced to shut down. Uh, and the following weekend, um, 100,000 people went to D.C. Um, to protest. Neil Young, News to Josh, wrote a song about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Chuck, um, let's do a message break, shall we? all right game off let's pause here to talk more about monopoly go because in monopoly go you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards it's very nice that's right and the more you win together the more awesome prizes you unlock and there's so much to get i'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. So the um, the shootings have just happened. The the crowd has been quelled. The the dead and wounded have been taken away in ambulances. And now we reach the aftermath. That's immediate right. Immediate and otherwise. Yeah. Um, President Nixon wasn't super <clears throat> compassionate 
He uh, had earlier been overheard calling them bums. Yeah. This wasn't in his press release, obviously, but it definitely got out in the press. It did not bode well for his reputation. And um, he said, when dissent turns to violence, it invites tragedy. That was the official line. That was the official line. Which is pretty cold. That's the president. Like, yeah. You get what you what you pay for. Yeah, you pretty know? much. Uh, his vice president, um, Agnew, said it was predictable. Um, also, not super compassionate. No. Considering this, these were Americans that were shot and killed. Right. Uh, two of which were just walking to class. Uh, he called them a bunch of scared kids with guns, the National Guardsmen. Well, that was Ray Price, the speechwriter for Nixon. Yeah, which is true. You yeah, know? but so basically the whole the whole again Nixon, it's gray, you know. It is like but, they probably were scared, for sure. And uh, and, and yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think also though it's it's one sided too. Like he's he's not saying. And then also the the other side were a bunch of scared, angry kids with rocks. Yeah, like the only way, and you can't even remove the gray, but you'd have to find out each person who shot, and what their motive was, right? Because some were probably scared out of their mind and reacted. There has been. Some people later on that said that they, some got together and decided to do this. Some of the guardsmen, right? So when they they had been pushing the crowd back onto the um, practice football field, apparently while they were loitering there, there have been allegations that a couple of the guardsmen said, "Hey, when we march back up the hill, we're going to turn and fire." Right. It's never been proven, um, but a few more than a couple historians have leveled that accusation. Um, there was also uh, immediate word that the guardsmen said that they were acting in self-defense because they there was a sniper on one of the rooftops and that yeah. they were being fired on. They found out that there were audio recordings of this, and um, that was quickly changed to, well, it was self-defense because these people were throwing rocks at us. Yeah. There was a presidential <clears throat> commission, obviously, um, and they concluded it was, quote, unnecessary, unwarranted, and inexcusable. And then in, uh, an FBI investigation found that the guardsmen fabricated their defense and that they were not in true danger. Right. That was the FBI. So the, a presidential commission and the FBI investigation both said like, this shouldn't have happened and like, yeah. it's on the guardsmen. But, uh, that wasn't the mood of the nation for the most part. There was a Gallup poll that was conducted shortly after and, um, the majority of Americans said that it was the protesters fault for protesting. Yeah. I mean, it went to trial, too. It wasn't just like, oh, well, this happened and it's super sad. Uh, and in the federal trial, it was di- dismissed because of uh, what was called a weak case by the guardsmen. And then the grand jury in Ohio put the blame on the university officials and the protesters and not the guardsmen. And then there was a civil trial in uh, 1979 settled out of court where the victims and families uh, got a collective sum of $675,000. Uh, collective sum meaning, I guess that was for all of them, right? Yeah, yeah. They'll split that. And no apology was uh, apology was ever issued. Um, they did issue a signed statement expressing regret. You want to hear it? Yeah. So this is the signed statement that the that was that came out of the civil trial that the Ohio National Guard released to the families of the victims. In retrospect, the tragedy of May Fourth, nineteen seventy, should not have occurred. The students may have believed that they were right in continuing their mass protest in response to the Cambodian invasion, even though this protest followed the posting and reading by the university of an order to ban rallies and an order to disperse. These orders have since been determined by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals to have been lawful. 
Some of the guardsmen on Blanket Hill, fearful and anxious from prior events, may have believed their own in their own minds that their lives were in danger. Hindsight suggests that another method would have resolved the confrontation. Better ways must be found to deal with such a confrontation. We devoutly wish that a means had been found to avoid the May 4th events, culminating in the guard shootings and the irreversible deaths and injuries. We deeply regret those events and are profoundly saddened by the deaths of four students and the wounding of nine others which resulted. We hope that the agreement to end the litigation will help to assuage the tragic memories regarding that sad day. Not an apology. No. Sort of like... We well, regret... Hindsight being twenty twenty, we might have should have done something differently. Right. Re- saying we regret instead of I'm sorry is... Yeah. That's a big flashing light. Yeah. It's a big diff. Uh, and for many years, they um, the university itself wasn't quite sure how to handle uh, moving forward in memoriam and otherwise. Um, yeah. In the 70s, they... The officials at Kent State failed. They tried to, but they tried to commemorate it just once every five years instead of every year. And everybody who held the vigil was like, well, then you have nothing to do with this. And they kept showing up every year. Right. I'm like, what are you going to do? Call the National Guard and remove us? Yeah. And they went, do. Right. Uh, in 1979, <laughs> there were hundreds of arrests because the university tried to bulldoze uh, the place where it happened to build a gym. That didn't happen. Uh, and it took all the way up until 1998 to keep cars from driving over the spots in the parking lot where the students were killed. Right. And finally, in the mid-2000s, um, the university has finally reverses position and just kind of goes with the flow. And in 2013, they opened a visitor center that is all about commemorating this event as a historical event. But also, I get the impression from the 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 descriptions of the visitor center, a um, kind of the spiritual aspect of it, the, the spiritual yeah. aspect of tragedy. You Was know? that just last year? Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, now the university, um, they say, is the nation's leader in uh, courses of nonviolence and democracy and peace studies and conflict resolution classes were all established. So they, you know, are trying to lead the way forward and at least being a symbol of, uh, you know, peaceful protest. Right. And people are still trying to figure out what happened. There's still lots of debate. Um, Oliver Stone, uh, unsurprisingly, favors a theory that the government placed a sniper um, in these protests and that there were government plant agitators who pushed the protests over the line. Um, And this idea is supported by the fact that there were policies by governors and the president to crack down on dissent on student anti-war protests. So there definitely was a policy that was like, if you want to get dirty, we'll, we'll, we'll send our goons to beat you up. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people think that the, the presence of a sniper is totally unsupported. Um, but then a cassette emerged, uh, fairly recently that that's an actual audio recording of that day that says supposedly you can hear um, the phrases get set, point, and fire, which means that this wasn't a surprise uh, knee-jerk shooting, that there was an officer commanding the guardsmen to shoot. Yeah, and it also, um, you know, with modern analysis, they think that there may have been uh, shots fired before uh, a full, uh, I think, 70 seconds before the guardsmen fired. There's a, a Kent State student named Terry Norman 
um, who was a photographer on mm-hmm. campus mm-hmm. taking pictures, and he also had a handgun, a loaded handgun. And he denied that he discharged it, but um, he has been accused of triggering this by firing shots. And I think they found evidence, audio evidence, that there were shots fired, and they think it may be have been Terry Norman Wow, that kicked it all off. And can you imagine carrying that around? No, I could not. And then, Chuck, um, this is a lot of people say that, that Kent State was the beginning of the um, slide toward Watergate for Nixon. This is like the beginning of the end for him. Yeah. Um, and then I, we should also talk about what happened at Jackson State because race relations in this country are so messed up. Yeah. That everybody talks about Kent State, where four white students died, and no one talks about Jackson State, which happened 10 days later, and two black people died, black students. Yeah, and could have been a lot worse. Like, they basically riddled a dormitory with a hail of gunfire. Yeah. So 10 days after Kent State, um, at Jackson State University um, in uh, Mississippi, yeah, uh, they were also carrying out anti-war protests, but they were also... Um, protests based on racism as well. Um, and when these students were doing a lot of the similar stuff, a lot of the same stuff that was happening or had happened at Kent State, they they were um, rioting. They had burned a, a building on campus down. And um, when firefighters came out to put out the flames, they started to get worried that these protesters were going to harm them, so they called the cops. Well, the cops came out, tried to disperse the crowd. The crowd didn't disperse, so they opened fire. And like you said, they riddled the building that served as the backdrop to this protest with bullets. Something like 460 rounds hit the building alone. There's no telling how many went on the sides or anything like that, yeah. but 460 rounds. Yeah, they said every window was broken on every floor with bullet fire. Right. On the on a crowd, a crowd of students. Um, and amazingly, only two people died. Yeah, uh, Philip Gibbs, he was a uh, pre-law major mm-hmm. and a father of an 18-month-old son. And uh, James Green, he was 17 years old, and he was a high school student walking home from his job at the grocery store. Right, which, again, the fact that he's not involved in any way and still died makes it so much worse. Yeah, and this one also, I don't think we pointed out, started out because of misinformation. There was... Um, a rumor that the mayor, uh, Mayor Charles Evers, and his wife had been shot and killed, assassinated, basically. Oh, yeah. It was not true. A relative of Megar Evers, right? Yeah. Uh, he was his brother. And so that's kind of what sparked everything uh, in addition to, like, the anti-war protests. Right. And, uh, you know, it was very much about black and white. Well, yeah. I know? mean, like, they're, they're – yeah. So um, this is a historically black college. Uh, the cops had just opened fire on uh, a bunch of students. Twelve people were hit by, injured by gunfire. Yeah. Two were killed. And the ambulances weren't called until the police picked up all of their shell casings and left. And then the National Guard came in. Yeah, and then after that, uh, the the police denied they even took part. Um, I'm not sure how that panned out. How can you deny that you shot up a building? So it was Mississippi in 1970. No, I guess that makes and sense. And a historically black college. And you probably never heard of Jackson State for that I, very honest, reason. Until we started researching this, I didn't. I hadn't heard of it either. Yeah. And there was only one source we used that made reference to it. That's how I heard about it. So that's great. It's just fantastic. 
That's what happened at Kent State and Jackson State. In Jackson State. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you got anything else? I got nothing else. There's got to be a better ending to this than this. I mean, these things happen, but there there has to have been some lesson learned. I think so. It hasn't happened since. Yeah, that's true. I wonder. Or at I least wonder on, on a is, campus. Yeah. We should do one on the battle for Seattle. Did They, they didn't fire live rounds at that, though, did they? I'm pretty sure they didn't. But, that yeah, we should do one on that as well. Yeah, my friend uh, John was there. Agitating? Was he a black shirt? No, he had these funny protest signs about that reference the Simpsons. I can't remember. All. Or black block. That's what uh, it is. He called. got the pictures. Really? Yeah. Um, well, I have to interview him then. I don't know that it would yield much information. Oh, fine. I think he was just goofing around. <laughs> I got you. Um, all right. Well, if you want to learn more about Kent State, you can type in uh, that name into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And we also encourage you to go look up Jackson State as well. Um and let's see, since I said search bar, you it's time for listener mail, right? Yes, sir. I'm going to call this a uh, prison guard wrote in. Uh, hey, guys. Um, for the most part, I found the episode on capital punishment pretty even-handed and interesting. However, I couldn't help but notice a bit of venom in your voices whenever you mention prison guards, especially in an instance of an inmate taking his own life with a razor blade while he's being off, uh, observed on death watch. Uh, the implication was that the guard on duty uh, negligently gave the inmate a razor in order to encourage him to take his own life. I don't think we implied that, did we? Um, no, it wasn't implied. It was more just like, what uh, kind of thing? Like, why Why did that happen? Right. Uh, as a former prison guard that worked on death row, I have to tell you um, that couldn't be further from the truth. It's a civil right for inmates to have access to razor blades uh, for hygienic purposes. I was required to allow an inmate on death row to keep the disposable razor for 30 minutes, despite the fact that he had nearly killed another inmate and murdered a prison official 
with a razor blade while serving his sentence. I'd imagine an inmate, even on death watch, would have similar rights, but I can't confirm through experience. Um, guards that worked on death row weren't allowed to serve on death watch. Uh, this is because it was feared that we'd form an emotional bond to the inmate set for execution and might cause a scene. So yes, prison guards have feelings and can have empathy for others. Uh, pop culture nearly always portrays guards as heavies and villains. And even smart portrayals of prison life, like Orange is the New Black, has every prison official character as a comic book mustache-twirling villain or a mouth-breathing idiot. It's a hard job and should be respected as much as other high-risk civil servant uh, careers. Um, a little disappointed you guys continued this trend, but I'm used to it, so don't sweat it. <laughs> so that is from Craig, and he let us off easy, even though he feels like we insulted his job. Well, thanks, Craig. I think he, he did exactly what we, we were kind of searching for right then. We were just um, uh, disgustedly confused. Yeah. We're disgustedly ignorant, one of the two. Yeah, I will say that he is probably right on the money as far as movie portrayals. It's pretty one note if you're a prison guard in a movie Yeah. in general, unless it's The Green Mile, and that movie has problems of its own. Or Oz. Uh, I never watched Oz. What? Yeah. That was the first. That Oz is the show that kicked off all of the shows you love and binge watch now. I know. The idea of binge watching a show began with a show like Oz because there was nothing like it ever created before. <laughs> it was. It all started with Oz. The Wire, The Shield, um, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black. Everything. Every Breaking Bad. All of them can thank Oz. You can thank Oz. You should go watch Oz, man. Thank you, Oz. It's good. Great. Man, this one is is something. I feel drained a little bit. Yeah? Yeah. Emotionally exhausted? I'm still not happy with the ending. I feel like we could have ended a lot better, but um, I'll have to think on it. All right. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me and Chuck, you can uh, tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Um, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast.discovery.com and you can check us out at our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by Lynda.com. Lynda.com offers thousands of engaging, easy-to-follow video tutorials taught by industry experts to help you learn software, creative, and business skills. Membership starts at $25 a month and provides unlimited 24-7 access. Try Lynda.com free for seven days by visiting Lynda.com slash S-Y-S-K. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.